This is your host, Patrick Greif, bringing it to you on another beautiful and finally sunny day here in Baltimore. We are out in Pixelated Headquarters, out in Morrell Park, the south side of the city, the last block, in fact. Um, and I think you can probably hear the buoyancy in my voice because I am incredibly excited uh, with our guest today. We're going to be speaking with TT the artist. Uh, hopefully many of you are aware of what she is up to and at very minimum I know that after this point all of you will be aware. Um, so without further ado, TT, mm -hmm. welcome to the Startup Soiree podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I appreciate you making the time to um, come out to the like the furthest regions of the city to, to talk <laughs> with us. Um, so the way that we usually start these podcasts off is with a little bit of background from you. So if you just kind of want to take two or three minutes and just maybe give your your elevator speech about kind of who you are and what you do. Okay, well, um, I'm TT the artist and I'm a multidisciplinary artist. Um, my main fields of um, interest in media that I usually work with is music, performance art, video production, community art, um, and creative directing. I guess I'm a jack of all traits. I'm now dibbling and dabbing into some fashion stuff. Um, I love dance, and uh, I'm originally from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I moved to Baltimore to attend the Maryland Institute College of Art, where I received my bachelor's in fine arts with a concentration in video production. So, um, and then from there, after I graduated, went to New York for a couple years, came back to Baltimore around 2008, and I've been here since then. Awesome. Um, so, you, what, what year did you come to Baltimore the first time to go to MICA? I came to Baltimore in 2002. And what was it about? Was it, was it the school that drew you in? Was there other stuff yeah, around that? I actually had never had a chance just due to, you know, not having the money to actually visit the school. I had applied for a few different art colleges and MICA seemed to have the best kind of financial situation for me. So. Um, my mom's only been to Baltimore twice to drop me off freshman year and to see me graduate. And so, um, you know, when I got to MICA, it was just a total culture shift, just just in general, MICA, and also just being in Baltimore. You know, I'm from the South, so coming up this North, uh, it was, things were a little fast-paced for me, like city life. And um, I was very homesick at first. Like, I, I didn't feel like um, who I was, was was appreciated in terms of my background and the things that, you know, I identified with, especially in the, the landscape of MICA, you know, you're, you're kind of coming, I'm coming from a place where it's like predominantly African-American students in high school and community and then coming to a place where uh, at the time it was such diversity of different people from different parts of the world. And so um, even as simple as living in a dorm with different people, you know, two Asian females, another white um, Caucasian girl, it was just a lot of different dynamics and it'll drive you crazy because everybody kind of is going through that same thing and that same culture shift. So um, at one point I didn't know if I'd, I'd even make it through Micah, I was really about to transfer, but um, the deans were very adamant about me just getting through that freshman year. And so once I did that, I kind of made the shift to just become more involved on campus. I started doing a lot of student activity events there, becoming like a voice around campus. And that's ultimately what started to kind of um, build a bridge from Micah in, into just the Baltimore community itself for me. Um, I started going outside of that MICA bubble. I started experiencing and meeting people from different areas of Baltimore and, and also doing different cultural things like attending open mics and starting to go to parties a little more. Just, you know, I started getting out of my element and really learning more about the city. And it was really different for me. And I, I began to like it. So what portion of the arts were you involved in as a teenager that, that had you applying to art colleges and realizing that you were going to pursue it? What was your focus? Was it music when, when you were, I guess, a teenager as well? Or was it more kind of like traditional arts discipline? 
Um, starting out, I was more so into uh, visual arts. Like I went to a magnet school in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Dillard School of Arts, and um, I was in the visual arts program. So it was more so building my foundation in fine art. Um, but while I was at high school, I met a friend of mine, and she was a rapper, and she used to rap, like, freestyle battle against guys at school. And I just admired her uh, energy, personality, and the respect that she got from using her voice. And so that's what inspired me to start actually writing rhymes and, and doing music, because I, I saw that, wow, a, a woman could command that type of respect through her voice. And so anywhere she walked on that campus, she received respect from guys. And you know, as a female, you know, of course, it's, it's, it's hard to get that respect out the gate, you know? But from that day forward, uh, when I started rapping, it was like um, my sophomore year in high school, I just fell in love with the art itself, fell in love with hip hop. You know, I wasn't allowed to listen to hip hop early on as a teenager. I was very much so raised in a, a very traditional uh, religious home where secular music was not acceptable. So I would often go sneak and listen to the radio and stuff like that. But um, music piqued my interest very early on, but it wasn't until I got to college where I actually started exploring myself as a performance artist and, and, and spreading my wings in that way. Awesome. So I'm curious, what were the things, what were the elements of Baltimore that started to like draw you out of the, of the mica kind of the pressure cooker of being whatever, like a, a young woman who's coming into a, a totally different dynamic than you're used to and like getting through that, but then starting to like get the feels of the city. What, what portions of it can you you know, remember that were that stick out in your mind about being like, wait, there's something here. What it was was I actually met a friend who was from Baltimore, and so we became best friends. And he was able to kind of show me what the city life and what it what what's what Baltimore really has going on. So he'd take me to the clubs, he'd take me to to these little shows and events, fashion shows, just different things that kind of showcase the music and the art scene in Baltimore. And that's when I was like, wow, you know, Baltimore has a lot of underground things happening. And it was really cool to me because again, I'm coming from the South. I really wasn't exposed to that type of stuff. So for me, it was very new, like going to the Paradox for the first time. And then I started um, dancing at that time too. I was a dancer and um, I, I was, uh, I took a part-time job as a go-go dancer for uh, the then the former club club one which is no longer here anymore but I used to go there I used to go go dance for like a couple hours I had a little part-time it was my part-time hustle used to work for that, dude. oh yeah <laughs> it was crazy yeah it was a crazy crazy life and then I I would Tom, go there right? yeah I would go from there and then I go to the paradox and dance to like five or six in the morning. I was really in shape around that time. <laughs> but um, it was just experiencing those things that started opening my eyes to what Baltimore's nightlife had to offer and the different things that you could do and, you know, what you could become as a freelance artist. Like, you could really kind of support yourself. Um, you could have a job, but you could also pursue your own personal endeavors and the things that you kind of were passionate about. So it felt great as a, a nurturing ground, you know? And so it started to shape the way that I moved. And, you know, um, after college, when I moved to New York, I really just took some of the things that I started to do in Baltimore and started doing it more in New York. And I think New York just yielded more opportunities for me to do those things. But at the same time, I didn't have the time to just focus on the things I was passionate about because it's so expensive. So you're like balancing working nine to five, 40 hours a week, and also trying to pursue your own personal interests. So, um, what kind of work did you move to New York to do? What every artist does. To be an artist, like after I graduated, um, you know, I just knew that's what artists do. That's what, you know, I saw my peers doing. And um, I interned at MTV my junior year in um, at MICA during the summer. And I, I thought I was actually going to be working for MTV when I graduated. So I was just trying to, like, shape the path for that. 
But um, I had a couple interviews with them. I never got the job. Um, I was actually told that I was overqualified. And that's why they didn't want to put me in a position where there was no room for growth. So it's very interesting because even today I feel like I have enough, just as as much experience as an executive who works for a television network would have. But had I took on that job, who knows how it would have stunted my growth or my ambition to want to go and explore different things to build on to who I am today and my experience. So um, when I was in New York, I was uh, doing artist assistant jobs. I was freelancing. I was working three jobs Monday through Sunday when I first got there. It took me two months to find one job, but finally found one. And then I held on to like three. I was working at a graphic design company as like a lead graphic designer. Um, really using all my skills I learned at MICA coming into play. It was, I put all those skills to use, really. But um, ultimately, I ended up artist assisting. And it just got to a point, though, where I just was tired and I, I wasn't finding myself enough in New York. I felt like I'm consumed by work and I can't find where I where my voice is here. And so my friend who I, my best friend, he was opening an art business in Baltimore. And so he was like, I was started going back and forth from New York to Baltimore and then eventually moved back to Baltimore to help him with his art company. And we kind of started doing our thing and we started making this music art hub in Baltimore. Like there wasn't really that happening, especially within the black community in Baltimore. And so everyone started migrating towards what we were doing. Like I came from, I took the hustle I got from New York and came to Baltimore and I started live painting in clubs. Like I didn't see that happening in Baltimore. Now you see it everywhere. You see a lot of like progressive movements in Baltimore. But when I came back in 2008, that wasn't going on. So we kind of established, uh, you know, that's when I really established TT the Artist and I started performing and putting together my own art exhibits. And me and my friend were going around having our own art exhibits and performances and showcases. And we were popping up in all the clubs. Like it was not one club that we didn't touch. You know what I mean? Um, and now a lot of those clubs are closed down, but it's like I've I seen all different sides of the spectrum of Baltimore nightlife from the urban um, clubs to the, the pop to the punk to the, just everywhere. So, you know, when I moved back here, that's like to me when I really, 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 really started to brand myself as an artist. Um, so how did the... All right. The, trying to figure out how to... I'm always like at a struggle to get through which direction I want to go in. How did the how did the the how did TT's music start to take shape? Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't want like you have a diverse background. Um, I'm a Baltimorean, mm-hmm. and there's certainly an element of Baltimore club that is like that there's like I can feel it in the bones, and I realize that there's a lot of other things that influence that. But I'm curious at all like. Was that something that when you were here, I mean, when you would have been an undergrad, mm-hmm. like, would have been, like, K-Swift was what was still alive. Yeah. Like, that was still, like, you know, that was definitely, like, Baltimore Club had kind of become a, at, not as dynamic as it had been the last few years of her life, but definitely, like, when K-Swift died, like, it really did put, like, a capstone on kind of like that period of time for Baltimore club music and it's influenced so much all around the world like you can hear strains of it and so much um, music but I'm curious about your relationship to that like was that something that you found while you were in Baltimore is it something you were already aware of mm-hmm. well I want to say during that time that I feel like club music has never died and you just said it yourself you know it was you hear it globally I think the spirit of the people died, and that's what happened. The music never went anywhere. It's been planned for years and years and years. Like, you can still hear those classic Rod Lee or Miss Tony tracks when you go to New York or when you go anywhere, you know? So I don't think the music ever died. I think that's a big misconception. I think the spirit of the people died here. And, um, and, and, and in that sense, it became difficult for the world to understand where this genre of music originated because the people were not vocal about it or the people kind of like kind of let it go in t- in sense of their own ownership to me like people felt 
like something was taken from them. And so, like I said, the spirit of the people died. I mean, it was it hit the dance community very hard. It hit the DJs, it hit the local radio hard. Like Kay Swift was the one DJ who was creating a platform for these new upcoming producers to get their records out there who were doing club music. And then she was getting respected outside of Baltimore. So what happens when you lose the face of that, you know, Who's, who, who's gonna step up to the plate? And I don't feel like anyone really stepped up to the plate because I feel like people were hurt. It was, it, it, it hit them hard. For me, um, I was first exposed to the club music when I was a freshman in college. And I just gravitated towards it because it was very, it, the feel of it felt very much so like what I grew up on, which was a lot of Miami-based music. Like by the time I was in high school and my mom left the church, like I started really getting involved and I was able to kind of just be myself. So I was like, you know, going to school, dance parties and stuff. So I was listening to a lot of like, you know, Two Live Crew, Uncle Luke, you know, these type of people who were doing their thing in Miami. And so for me, club music was a natural transition for that. And it wasn't until I met uh, with a producer by the name of Samir and um, at the time Murder Mark, who's now Mighty Mark. They were working on a project with Aaron LaCrate called the Yo Boys and they needed a female vocalist um, to, to rap on this club beat. And that was the first club beat I had ever really rapped on. And I, you know, they thought I killed it or whatever. So from there, me and Mighty, um, we've been working together since like 2009. And we just started kind of working um, on my sound. And one of the focuses very early on was sound design and understanding and quality. Um, so we wanted to make new original club tracks using my vocals, original vocals, and his original beats. And that's kind of how we started to cultivate the sound of TT the artist as far as my club music. And so from there, it just kind of started growing and growing and growing. And like, I just fell in love with the sound. But even early on in college, um, I was impacted by the um, dancing. I just go to Paradox and I would see the club dancers. I would see the club dancers there and I was like, oh my God, how has no one documented this? Like, how has no one made the most amazing film about this? And early on, I tried to get with a friend of mine um, in college and we tried to film it, but I couldn't. It felt like I was more so exploiting or I was on the outside. So fast forward years later, um, I was in a position to try to put something together and I started working on a film and I felt like I felt very, very bad in terms of understanding how to do a film. Like I was an amateur, I didn't know what I was doing. And so um, it was like a moment for me to take a step back. Cause even at that time, again, I was in it, but I was still very much so a spectator. And so fast forward, now I'm very much so a part of that culture. Like in the history, I will go down as like, you know, one of the new voices of club, you understand? And so how, I, I, it all makes sense now. It's like, how can you write a history and not include yourself? And so I think those are the lessons that I was learning. And, and sometimes you gotta fail at something to come back and then, and then recreate it and make it better. So um, there's so many things that I wanna do for this culture. I think there's so many things that this culture needs in Baltimore. They need spaces, dancers need studios. You know, we need to put spaces downtown for these arts to have a home to exist so that when tourists come, they see what real Baltimore culture is. You know, like you can go to New York and go to Broadway Dance Center out in LA and you get to see all these different dance forms and people can take classes there and dancers make money. They're paying like $18 for a class. Can you imagine what that would do for these young kids who can't get a job and they're dancing every day in the streets if they had a studio downtown where people, tourists can come and learn the art of club because everybody wants to learn it. They're teaching in California, like everywhere in the world accepts it but Baltimore. And that's my opinion. It's like, how can y'all not embrace your own culture? You know what I mean? Like, it, and I'm not just talking about the community. The community embraces it, but I'm talking about like the corporate world. I'm talking about, you know, the people who are developing downtown. Like, there's something so rich here that they're just overlooking. And I hope that, you know, through my personal career endeavors, that I'll be in a position one day to kind of change those things. I'm of the opinion that the, our most valuable assets and resources that we have in our city are the ones that, that very, very few of us 
have any idea is actually there and that the, the, the greatest rewrite in history will be made around exposing that and really just kind of like and not like not not commodifying or bridling it but just exposing it really helping it get its access to the light that it's deserved because uh, you know like it our city has a tremendous the, the majority part of its population isn't allowed to like play on the field right like we, we don't we don't like we don't we don't let the majority of our players come play on the team. So like what happens when all of those talents get activated and they're allowed to have their message be on equal ground with every message that's happening in the city. Um, so it's, it's super inspiring to hear you have that point of view um, and be so kind of bullish about it because I think that it, it takes that amount of kind of like I mean, like, it's pretty rude to knock on someone's forehead, but that's the analogy that I always think about, which is, like, wake up. Like, what are you talking about? Like, right. this, there's so much opportunity here, and it just needs to be nurtured. And, and, and it needs to have space provided for it to, like, to thrive, to really turn into something special. Yeah, and even um, as, we, as we talk about, like, I think you mentioned earlier um, this whole notion of, not having ears to ears and eyes to what's going on like for example i keep saying this in every interview that there is a music scene there is a scene there's an art scene in baltimore but there is no industry here for us like once you get to a certain level and you know you want to do bigger things like you reach the ceiling in baltimore because you know after you've been in the city paper 10, 15 times after you've been mentioned in Baltimore Sun or you've been in these local newspapers, like where's the media, where's the press? They're in New York, they're in LA. Well, really mostly New York. So it's like for artists like me, it can become very frustrating because right now today, you know, blogs and, and, and media, press, those are the things that are kind of shaping an artist's career in terms of who's watching and who's hearing. and. There's, there's even, you know, blogs are breaking artists these days. You know, there's artists who have been in the game for two years, three years. I've been doing this for like seven, eight, you know, and there's, this is before Instagram and all of that. But like, there's artists who can come out tomorrow and be on the same bill as me with least experience. And I'm not saying that they're not good artists, but what I'm saying is we in Baltimore need to figure out how to build an industry here to to get to carry this word that there is some amazing talent here and then uh, I feel like for those who are doing it for those writers who are getting access to these bigger media platforms that they just got to keep spreading the love like don't centralize it don't just help your friends help everyone who you see out here grinding and trying to put a, a, a respectable name on the craft or the, the art that's coming out of Baltimore. Like, that's how I feel. And so I just think people need to, like, share resources. They need to share information. You know, the more you share, the the bigger, I think, the impact. Like, I'm very much so open book, you know. I know I may not always just offer volunteer because you got to also be mindful, like, you don't want to volunteer to people who are not going to spread the word either. You know, like I, I respect people who come and talk to me out of respect for what I do. You know what I mean? So you got to be mindful of that because there was at some points where, you know, I was helping as many people as I could, giving all my information, all my resources. But, you know, when it came down for me asking for favors or, or, or something, help with something, it was like those people are nowhere to be found. Yeah. So it's like, I think sharing resources are really like, I think I don't really know the answer to how we can get more people looking at what's going on in Baltimore. You know, like, I almost feel like it's so much going on here that in, the media in New York, like any press, big major press should be doing a post every week on somebody from Baltimore. I've seen, I do an open mic once a month and it's always new talent on that stage. And some of them are amazing and doing amazing things. Some have gone up to got record deals. Like, so I just think that we really, really need that type of support the space here. is wide open. One of the things, so I remember, you know, like growing up and I've always, um, 
I've always made like lots of different types of music. So like when I describe myself as like a studio rat, like that was it. And it would mm-hmm. be like weirder, like avant-garde, noisy stuff, or it would be like fruity loops and like beats and like sampling it, my mm-hmm. guitar playing and building like stuff organic, like just like in the zone. Like that was my spot. Like the greatest, you know, between 9 p.m. and 3 a.m. in the mm-hmm. morning, like every night. That's just what I did. Um, and you know there are those like chain those chain music stores like Guitar Center and Mars Music, and they always bothered me because they they mass market this idea that everyone should play a guitar and and it it makes people feel like they should, like I should be like trying to do this and I always felt that it really devalued how important it is to just fucking like music, mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. or like. And to let maybe to just like it so much that you actually want to document it, right? Mm-hmm. That like all of those roles, a photographer or a videographer or a podcast. Like, I know that there are some music podcasts in the city, but like if I had nothing to do tomorrow and I was like, what do I want to do? I would literally take this thing sitting between us and I would be out every night at all kinds of shows, literally being like, can I get fifteen minutes out in the alley, right? right? Like. What was tonight about? What are your favorite things, TT? Like, mm. can I come meet you in, in six weeks and we'll do this again? And you update, like, like that kind of, like, living, breathing. I get home. Exactly. I edit it. It's live for people to commute and listen to the next morning. Like, I give a trailer for Wednesday night stuff, right? Like, I recorded this last night. Great interview with TT. We talked about boom, boom, boom. Like, we do the interview. And then after that, I'm like, if you guys want to come out and have a beer with me tonight, I'm going to drop into this show. And I'm going to go to this performance. And I'm going to go do this. Like that, like living, breathing, and it got there was that that show space Tumblr for a while was really mm-hmm. good, right? The one that was yeah. like just publishing everything on it. But even as that grows, it gets political, right? And the stuff that's hitting it, or even the way that think tiers are being laid out on the mm-hmm. page, right? Like what thing is getting the marquee show for the night versus what is like number two, three, or right. ten, and you know that desire would the amount of value that that would bring to our market, right? And to our community to make sure that we're growing and we're commanding the respect and attention nationally, globally, that our arts and music community like deserves, right? I agree with you. I think all I'm, I think all I'm trying to say is I agree with you, but it kind of blows my mind that there aren't more people that are seeing the richness and the real dearth of, um, of coverage that this like incredibly rich, vibrant, still unlike mitigated. I mean, we still have a few, like luckily somehow Baltimore hasn't flipped yet and like it's gonna happen. You know, like at some point everybody's finally gonna realize that it's the great city that hasn't been like eaten alive and it's gonna like all resources will be devoted to figuring out how to turn that. And, but we're not there yet, right? Like it's still like, 1981, 1978 in New York in Baltimore right now where it's the land of potential is just there and that's why our arts and music community is as amazing as it is because when the limelight isn't there and there are these kind of like cheap resources and all we have is like one another to kind of help build like that's where like the innovative music happens right like that's the context around where like the, the new vision for how club music like rises again comes back out of it right mm-hmm. like it gets to intermingle it's great to hear your point of view on that I want to ask you a little bit because you hinted at it before um, about gender equality so mm-hmm. you talked a little bit about getting to like have your friend in high school who was able to like mm-hmm. really kind of represent herself and how it changed her voice and the way that it garnered respect inside of like a traditionally male-dominated space. Um, I know that like that that has some forbearance in what your music is and kind of who you are as an artist. And I was just wondering if you would you know speak a little to that. Well, you know, um, in the the lane I'm in, which right now is really uh, what I've been known for is you know I'm in dance music world. So if anybody knows about the dance music world, it's a really big boys club and I mean the hip hop industry in general is a boys club 
the entertainment industry is a boys club and so as a as a female coming in the gate you know you're already kind of there's already things lined up to to kind of be a distraction for you um people are already sizing you up you have to work extra hard to be taken serious because there's so many other things that are are coming into play, you know, and so many different energies. And so one thing that I've always um, done whenever I'm in a situation or whenever I'm meeting people is, you know, I really I really am very serious about my work and my craft. And so um, I've always tried to make sure that I am not coming in for any favors like i'm coming in to show you how hard i've been working and and i'm i want your honest opinion you know what i mean because if it's something that i need to go back and work on i'm going to go back and i'm going to come back harder you know i've faced rejection on numerous occasions just because i didn't fall into a certain box um or i couldn't be defined in terms of my sound and at one point, you know, you can struggle as an artist with that, and it can it can kind of throw you off um, because you'll feel like you want to be successful and you want people to like your sound and you want people to respect what you do, and then but at a certain point, you get to a point where you realize you realize you can't please everyone, and 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 it's impossible. Everyone's not gonna like what you do. There's some people that just don't listen to club. There's some people that just don't listen to hip hop. So um, again, for me, it's like I've been rejected. Um, for so many different reasons. At one point, even for the way I looked, the way I dressed, um, I wasn't as sexually provocative in the way I dressed. So I've had producers say things like, "Oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't represent her or work with her because I'm not attracted to her," or you know, stuff like that. And I just think that's crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like. It's cool because, I mean, great, because I wouldn't want to work with you anyway <laughs> if that's what you're basing um, making music off of. So um, you face all these different things as a female artist um, in the game and, and also as a black female artist, which is a whole different surface to scratch. You know, um, there is, to me, within the hip-hop world itself, you know, being a black female rap artist, you know, um, the... <laughs> How do I say this? The level of appropriation of what we do through other races is more acceptable than what than us doing it. So, you know, I could say I've been rapping this way, rocking braids, looking this way for 10 years, and then it could be another race that come out and female artists, and she does the same thing that I do, except she's a different race, and she can get a record deal because they look at her as more marketable and uh, more of a universal image. And so um, when you get into that type of thing or when you face those type of adversities, your number one focus has to be to just remain focused on what you do and, and, and focus on what will make you special. Like, it comes to a certain point where we know we're going to face all these different challenges, whether you're black, white, gay, straight, um, female, or male. There's always going to be adversities in, in whatever you do. I mean, there's levels, you know what I mean, on the pole. So some of us are going to face more than others and based on our race and our gender and our sexual orientation. But for me, after you understand that, and if you really truly want to be an, an artist that makes an impact, you have to carve out your lane and you have to stick to your path. Because if you don't, then you just become someone who's whining and complaining and you're never gonna make change that way. Like you have to understand, okay, these are the things I'm up against, but now you have to figure out how to take the gifts and the talents that you have and become either a spokesperson for that, an advocate for that, a creative for that. Like how do you translate all that frustration, adversity and aggression into your music? So those are the things I think about when I'm creating my music or when I'm facing these type of challenges, you know, as a female artist, you know, it's like, well, if you want to hush me, I'm going to be louder and I'm going to say stuff that's going to bring it to your attention. You know what I mean? Like in one of my new records, you know, I, I say, I say something like, you know, um, they want to make me the angry black bitch they already see. So like, 
I'm just going to take what you're telling me and I'm going to put it in your face and let you know that I recognize exactly what you're doing. And I'm going around that and showing you that I'm so much more than that that you try to box me in and define me as. So that's what I think you have to do as an artist. And if you want to really, really, you know, make an impact, you know, you don't bow down. You, you, you try to figure out a way how to use these gifts and create that message through your work. Awesome. I got like three more questions for you and then we can wrap up in one statement. So like, I'm going to just do it like Nike. It's like the greatest line this year, like period. I don't know if you're going to do any pool quote t-shirts at all, but like I would buy that one all day long. Even being in Baltimore with Under Armour here, like that mm -hmm. is an excellent line. So kudos to you for that. Um, so I want one, uh, I want to like do a rap question. Okay. So like, who, who are your favorite MCs? Like, Ooh. Oh man, I have so many. But like, you know, what's crazy is I don't just listen to rap. Most of the music I listen to is um, dance music, like 90s and R&B. Yeah. So, but from a rap perspective, there's so many different people that I've been into, and some of them are independent artists, and yeah. some of them are mainstream. But my independent list right now, um, I really like this new artist. Her name is Kamaya. She's from, um, I think she's from Oakland, or she's from the West Coast. But like, she's really, really cool. She has like a singing rap type style. Okay. But it seems very genuine. Oh. Yes. Play the piano. <laughs> Her style is very, very genuine. There's a other artist named Taste. She's from Florida. Uh, very raw in your face. Um, I love, of course, on a mainstream level. I'm a big fan of Kanye West, Drake, Kendrick. Well, Kendrick, like honestly, I wasn't a big fan of him. Like I'm still not a big fan of Kendrick, but I do like what he's doing. Yeah. I like that he's again, like he's taking all this adversity and he's staying in his lane. Like he's not out here just trying to like get on a uh, DJ Mustard beat oh, yeah. and you know what I'm saying and sing on some auto tune like he really is an artist and I really 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 respect an artist like that yeah um, the third record deep chain like the first record and by record I just mean like the big ones I know that there are things that precede Good Kid Mad City but like that record was like great because it was just like these big anthems right the, mm -hmm. the, like you know the production on some of those tracks is just exceptionally good like really really great and then you know to pimp a butterfly came yeah. out and it added this whole depth but then it's the third record the secret one that came out that kind of like it added it kept the the density and the, and the intense intention that he brought to pimp a butterfly with but then it like got catchy again but in like a different way like in a much more kind of like idiosyncratic way um, so the depth is interesting with what he's got alright so now that you said that let me alter it because <laughs> really one of the questions that I kind of wanted to ask and I wrote down sneak radio so you said really we're talking about like 90's music which would have been like kind of when you were transitioning right when when radio was starting to open up for you so like what is that stuff then like that, like. that that you like love, like those old, oh, like the old you know, CNC Factory, yeah. La Bouche, um, Technotronics, awesome, even like JJ Fat, like you know those those groups from back in the day, even like with Miami Bass too, like '69 Boys, Quad City DJs, yeah. um, and I, what I like about those songs is a lot of people think with dance music there's no messaging, but there were love ballads. There were records about heartache, and, and there were records about having fun. They're like everyday things, relatable things. And so that's actually a lot of the influences of my newer music that I'm doing. Like I'm really trying to, um, I don't know, I'm really trying to create like more universal music where you know you really can't pinpoint exactly like what lane I'm necessarily in. It's kind of just really me kind of taking you on a musical journey. It's like you might be listening to a clubby and it might, it might go analog real quick with a trance track or like uh, some sort of house track and then we might go to some hip hop, you know? So it's like I'm kind of dibbling, dabbling a little bit. And, and honestly, where I'm at right now is it's because, again, I don't want people to just think of me as a Baltimore club 
artists, although I carry that and I honor that. I also been, you know, I am a, hem, a MC and I, I do rap and I am very versatile and I would like to just touch different parts of the world. And I, I, I don't ever touch anything that I can't do well. So I'm not gonna touch it. Like you won't hear me singing no country song unless it's kind of like, you know, with Beyonce or something. She's like, you want to do a country song? I'll sing country song, but I, I, I try to stick with things that I, I know I can do well because I just don't want to, like, disrespect others who are in a certain lane and they really have the, the respect for that. Yeah. You know, sometimes you got to let things exist the way they need to exist. Yeah, and, yeah. and one of the things I wanted to say earlier was when you were mentioning um, – just the whole thing about you know the Baltimore and and the the light being shined on Baltimore and also who's who's pushing it. I think as an artist, you really have to understand where that your energy is coming from. Like, why are you doing the things that you're doing for the community? Is it coming from a pure place or is it coming from a selfish place? Like, are you just doing it to boost your own self or are you doing it to make a real impact? Because I think that ultimately that affects progression too because if you got people out here who are just doing stuff to make themselves look better how does that service the community because then guess what when they get to the next level they're gonna forget about everybody who built them up to get there right but if you have somebody who's genuinely out here like okay i'm working with you guys and i'm building you up with me that is someone who will create change over time because you're planting seeds and you're also building up other artists. Like I've been working with my dance group, their local Baltimore dance group, TSU. We've been working together since like 2011. And I take them on tour with me when I can. I take them out the state when I can. And, and, and hopefully as budgets grow, they'll grow with me too and I can take them out the country and all over the world, you know? So, and now they're doing their own thing. And that's what I'm talking about. I don't even have to be here. I'm here. I'm seeing them in the newspaper now. People are interviewing them. They're running. They took ownership because they saw something else. They went outside those borders. Then they brought that back. So now they're teaching in Baltimore. So those are the things that I feel like create change and progression in Baltimore. I think you're right. What about Tigra and Bunny? Like the boom. Do you remember that song? Boom, I got your boy. Like the cars. The boom, I got your. No, like. Which song? Like the cars. The, the cars, cars that, that go, go boom. boom. Oh, I love that side. And well, I don't want to like. So that's why I wanted to get. That's why I wanted to like touch yeah, the 90s I, stuff because that I have a feeling that I'm gonna be honest. I don't want to jump too far ahead because I'm getting ready to put my album out, but I am working on a new project already. Um, as I'm getting ready to put the album out, and it's is gonna be an all dance project and a lot of those type of tracks like Miami bass it's gonna be Miami bass and heavy club influence that was last night at, at shake and bake yeah like, it's gonna be it's gonna jams. be I, and, I, and I'm working with like some really amazing <laughs> producers on it and I'm not you know like I said I'm not trying to jump ahead you know because I get so excited but it's gonna be exciting because it's just gonna be really fun and um, just a good collaboration, collaborative project, and it's gonna definitely hit. It's specifically for my uh, the people that love me for the dance music, like yeah. straight dance. Well, me and project. my kids are gonna be dancing yeah. first thing in the morning. All right, last question, and uh, like I can't not ask this. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a little bit. We're gonna celebrate you for a second. Oh. <laughs> tell me about what it's like to stand on stage at Coachella <laughs> in front of that many people yeah. and having worked your face off to get to that point because for me watching on Instagram some random night when I can't go out and do anything because I got my kids and knowing actually mm -hmm. understanding like I didn't know you yet but I understood what was happening mm -hmm. and th like that night for me was a, a place of tremendous pride like to literally watch those screen. I mean, it's one thing it for you just crazy. to be there before that. Like, I mean, that big ass representation. I mean, that. Fun, yeah, I didn't even know. I didn't even know that was gonna be happening. Was insane. It was, like it was insane. So, I think if you ever have that experience, it can only it can only be life changing, and so stepping on that stage and 
it's kind of one of those things where I've never been scared to perform ever. And I wasn't even scared at that moment. At that moment, it was kind of like, for the first time, I don't care how many write-ups I've gotten, I don't care how many collaborations I've done, for the first time, I really, really felt like, you know, I made it somewhere, you know? Like, I was like, yo, I'm at Coachella, and um, this is 100,000-some people looking at me. So many people, like, it literally looked like an ocean of people, like, and so, once you get to that platform, like, the only thing you see is going up from there, and the only thing you want to do is get back and get to work, because I want to be back next year, or I want to do more festivals on that level. I, I, oh, I'm hearing, I'm hearing, I'm hearing everything that's going on, and I'm seeing and taking in all these people and all... All these people on media, I just see, you see the inner workings of things. Because right. you're backstage and you're seeing, and, and, and you have to take those moments in life and take notes. Right. Because you're going to be in the, it's teaching you that this is what your life can be and it's showing you. And the only person that can stop that is you. So like I said, like for me, I got back and I got extra focus. Like everything is done with a purpose, with strategy, from every interview, from every conversation anytime I get in the car and put those keys in ignition and going somewhere it's with purpose in mind so I think it's important to get out and talk to the people and tell my story and you know I want to be an inspiration to other artists and I'm here I'm accessible um, I know a lot of people like lately I haven't felt as much local support from my peers because I think people may think or have the perception that I'm on some other level I mean, their perception is right. I am on another level. But one of the things that I don't ever want somebody to think is that I'm not humble and I'm not here because I am. And if I'm on another level, it's because I'm trying to get others up there too. Like, I'm trying to figure out how the bigger scheme of this thing works, you know? Like, we talked about understanding the business. And so I took time last year to really learn the business, really understand where my streams of revenue come from as an artist. What's the difference between your mechanical royalties and your publishing and interactive streaming and non-interactive streaming and who gets paid and how much and, you know, how do you properly register a track and are, you know what I mean? Like, it has to, you know, at some point, another thing that affects this growth is the business. So. You gotta move from just your basement if you really wanna make that impact. You gotta move from your basement, you gotta take time to understand, and you gotta talk with business people, and you gotta understand that side of the world too. But that all starts with you defining what type of artist you wanna be at the end of the day. And the type of artist that I wanna be is great. I wanna be a great artist, I wanna do films, I wanna do, uh, <laughs> I wanna open dance studios, like I wanna be an artist, a business person, so, you know, I think after that Coachella experience, it just made me want to get focused even more. And that's where I'm at today. Awesome. Look, before we go, I want you to let everyone listening know uh, where they follow along the journey, how they like, how they dig in, how they tune into what's happening. You can tune in at TT the Artist. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter is at TT the Artist, TT, T H E, Artist. My Facebook is I Like TT the Artist, and my website is tttheartist.com. Check on my blog, I'm updating it every other week. Um, I'm touring now, so I'll be in a city near you if you're tuning in. And um, yeah. Awesome. Uh, on behalf of our whole world of listeners and people, um, thank you. Thank you. On behalf of like Baltimore, like thank you. Like thanks for doing such a good job. Thanks for being so convinced of what you're gonna do because like I'm a believer a hundred percent and you know, I, I think I've I've painted a little bit, but the 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 pride that I that I feel in my heart for people that are out just telling the world how it is here is it because that's my thing. Like I have mm -hmm. no seconds for anything aside from just letting you know actually what the real deal is and when I see other people that see our city in that same light it's like the best because you know right. like we need each other right we need we need to like keep supporting that kind of like 
Yeah, and also one last thing, like make no mistake, the wave is coming and there are, uh, I just want to put it out there early, there's a new crew, Hands Up, and that consists of uh, Mighty Mark and Mike JR, the two club producers locally grown. And they're getting ready to start a whole new wave and put out a lot of new club music sounds. They're working with a lot of local vocalists to create original club tracks and sound design. And they're ready to start putting that music out there. And I hope that more producers, old school, new school, I hope they follow suit and start putting more music out because that's what we need. And we need to support our local artists who are becoming the faces of that in all different aspects and elements. TT, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to come out and hang out with us. Um, yeah. Thank you. All right, guys, that's it. That is the chat. So here's the deal. Those like 90 seconds of seriously intense fundamentals that TT got into right there at the end where we're talking about streaming royalties versus sales royalties versus licensing, that is going to be the, the, the basis of our chat in September when she takes the soiree stage. It's going to be all about how we recognize our creative uh, our creative attributes and the things that we can build something amazing around that we're already talented at and then really having a hard fundamental understanding of where the business touches it. So make sure that you're on our mailing list so when those tickets go live, you don't get left without one because there are always a limited number. Aside from that, if you haven't yet, be sure to hit the subscribe button, whether you're listening on the iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, They've all got the subscribe button and you can press it. Uh, aside from that, if you have a few spare moments, and I know you do, so I'm just gonna tell you to head to the iTunes store and leave us a quick review. Choose all five stars because that helps us rank. And the better we rank, the more iTunes serves us. And then the more we get served, the more ears we get listening to these great stories happening here in Baltimore, of which we're all so proud. So do your part, help spread the message. Aside from that, this is your host, Patrick Reif. Keep taking care of each other. Peace.